Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Good morning. We're going to begin a new series uh, today that uh, I'm calling The Struggle is Real. You guys know this phrase? The struggle is real. I don't know about you, but every year at this time, every fall, I become reacquainted with struggle. Anybody else becoming reacquainted with struggle in the fall, right? The summer is chaos, right? Especially for those of you who have kids, right? The summer is chaos, but I've just sort of grown to accept it. It just is what it is. Chaos just abounds. You know, all my rhythms get thrown up in the air. Uh, you know, we travel places. The kids are home from school, and they're like, entertain me, entertain me, entertain me. That's not what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like in here and in here. But, but the summer, we've sort of like, we acclimate, right? It's like, yeah, it's chaos. It's a mess. But I always like, I don't know about you, but I count down the days till school starts again. I'm like, it's just a couple more weeks. We're going to make it. I'm going to survive. I'm going to get there. And then school starts, and I'm just looking forward to get my rhythms back, you know, my normal space, and yet it doesn't come. Have you had that experience, right? So like, you know, school starts, and then there's like a thousand forms. If you have kids that come home from school, how many forms did you have to sign your name and date? I need a stamp for these things. Um, so there's a thousand forms, but then like all the after-school activities begin, and then sports begin, and football begins, and band begins, and we got to do this thing, and we got to do that thing, and then we add so much more to it, don't we? We say, get in a life group. Alpha's starting. You should do these things, right? And it, the reprieve that I'm hoping happens in the fall never happens. Anybody relate? A couple of you? Yes, like all the parents are like, yes, that's my life. But I get reacquainted with struggle. But then, not only that, but then every few years, it's the same thing every, you know, every cycle, but every few years, we enter a political season, and everybody in culture loses their mind, right? You know, the, you, not you guys. You guys keep your minds. You guys are the stable forces in your workplaces and all the places, but everybody else, right? Everybody else, they lose their minds, and everybody's stressed out, and everybody accuses everybody of everything else, and it's so stressful. And with all that, what I start to realize, and I don't know if this is you, but it starts to feel like normal life is just out of my grasp. Like, have you had this feeling before? Normal life is just out of my grasp. And so I say things like this. See if you've said these sorts of things. Well, once I get past the start of school, then things will slow down, and you know, we'll, get, we'll figure out a normal routine, right? And then school gets started, and, and it doesn't slow down. You're like, well, once we get to October, you know, it's the beginning of the year, it's early, it's all those things. We get to October, things will settle down. I'll be able to catch my breath a little bit. You say this, right? Some of you, it's like week to week. Once I get to Friday, then I'll be able to, to settle down, and things will become normal. But then, you know, we get to November, and things aren't normal, and then we're like, well, maybe I get through the holiday season. You go to Thanksgiving and Christmas. And once I get through the holiday season, things will settle down and I'll be able to live a regular life. And it never seems to be within my grasp. Does that feel that way to you? Like there's just constant struggle all the time. And just about the time I get it figured out, May happens and the kids come home again. And then it's like, well, I, I guess I'm never going to have a normal life. 
And what we know to be true is that Jesus says he wants to give us life in all its fullness. Many of us know that verse, that Jesus wants to give us life in all its fullness. But what we also know to be true is that for many of us, that's not our experience, is it? That this life in all its fullness is, is something that is sort of a pipe dream. You know, we keep putting it off and we keep putting it off. But see, the kingdom and the life of the kingdom is not something that's supposed to be just experienced when we die. Like, Jesus offers us this life, and so when you die, you can have the life of the kingdom. Or when you retire, you can have the life of the kingdom. But actually, the life of the kingdom is, G- is something that Jesus expects us to experience now. That the life of fullness, the, the full life that he offers is something that we're supposed to experience now in our real lives. And so that's what I want to talk about in this series, about how it is that we go about experiencing now in our real lives this abundant life of the kingdom. Some of you have been Christians for a long time, and you've never really felt like you've had the abundant life of the kingdom, right? Somebody said to you, if you give your life to Jesus, your life will change, and you will experience eternal life, the life of the age to come, right, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. And for some of you, you're like, months have gone by, years have gone by. When does this happen? And I want to talk about that in this series. So as we start this series, uh, what I want you to see is that the life uh, of the kingdom, the abundant life of the kingdom is something you can experience in your real life. I'm calling this message Abundant Life in the Midst of Struggle. Would you pray with me? And then we'll look at Scripture. So Lord, I do just acknowledge your presence in this room. And Lord, you've been so present in the midst of worship. And Jesus, we're grateful for your presence in the communion meal. And so, Lord, I ask right now that you would bring the life of the kingdom to bear here. Lord, I offer everything that I've thought through and that I've prepared. I offer myself as one that longs for the life of the kingdom as well. God, would you use me? Would you speak through me? Lord, would you deposit in us something of the kingdom today? Would you put power on this message in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 11. If you have a Bible, you can turn there um, or a device. If you want a Bible, there's Bibles on either side here. You can feel free to grab one of those. Um, But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to look at the end of Matthew chapter 11. This verse will sound familiar to some of you. To to others of you, it will be new. Um, But let me catch us up to where we are. The beginning of chapter 11 Jesus is, uh, is, uh, just commissioned his disciples to preach the kingdom of God. And at the beginning of chapter 11, John the Baptist uh, is Jesus' cousin. He's in prison, and he sends a group of people to Jesus and says, Are you the one that we were expecting? Are you this Messiah? Is the kingdom actually here? Or should we look for someone else? And if you look in the, in the passage, Jesus doesn't say, Yeah, I'm him. What he says is, go and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, right? Good news is preached to the poor. And what he's saying is, 
The things that are to happen when the kingdom comes are happening now. And he's defending himself. He's saying, yes, I am the one to come. And then, so he sends these guys off, and, and then he turns to the crowd, and he, he begins to preach about the kingdom. And he says, there's all these people who have missed it. And they've missed it at some level because they're offended by who I am and by how I show up. He says, you know, John came neither eating nor drinking, and, and uh, you thought he was crazy, but I come eating and drinking, and you call me a glutton and a drunkard. You're offended. You can't receive the kingdom because you miss it because of the package that it's come in. And then if you read through, Jesus does these really, like, I don't know, it feels foreboding to me. I feel like if Jesus ever said to you, woe to you, that's a terrible way to, like, encounter Jesus. So he begins to say, woe to you, all these towns where I did these miracles that were demonstration of the kingdom. He says, woe to you, you saw the miracles and you missed the kingdom. And so he's been preaching on the kingdom, but sort of in this perspective of you all are missing it. All of you who should get it are missing it. And of course, I, I, just so in case you, you weren't here for a couple weeks ago, the kingdom is the dynamic rule and reign of God. It's where God gets his way. And so what he's saying is you all are missing the tangible presence of God. And so we get to verse 25, which is where we start today, as he's been telling all these people they've been missing it. And here's what he says. He turns to pray. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All, the, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I don't know about you, but there is never a time that I've read those last three verses that my soul didn't just come alive. Where that feels like an offer that I could never turn down. I always come to that passage at some level weary and burdened and longing for rest. And there's never a time that that passage doesn't read deep into my soul. Have you had that experience? That as I read that passage, the passage just opens my soul, and I long for something of the kingdom. Is that, is that your experience? That every time I say, uh, every time I read this passage and I go, man, I cannot be weary and burdened, but I can have rest for my soul. Oh, I want that. There's never a time. I love how uh, Eugene Peterson puts it in his paraphrase. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. I love this line. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I think there's a reason that this passage hits us so deeply. Because I think it stands so starkly counter to the way our normal lives work. Would you agree? 
Like as we were outlining the, the struggle of the fall, and it's like I don't get the break that I thought I was going to get, and I read this and I go, but this is not my normal life. This is something I only long for, I only dream for. And what Jesus is saying, this, this is the kind of life I intend for you to live in the kingdom. A life where you're not weary and burdened, a life where you're not burned out, a life where you're not exhausted all the time. I long for you to live a life where your souls find rest. And wouldn't you be able to, wouldn't you just love to live that as your normal life? Like I'm even reading this and some of you are like, yeah, 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 pie in the sky, whatever, right? That's a long time off. But wouldn't you love it if that was your normal life? That if your normal life was marked by unforced rhythms of grace, wouldn't that be amazing? If this is actually what we live I mean, many of us would write this off as impossible, but Jesus says something right off the bat that I want to to point out. He says, essentially, it's simpler than we want to make it. The life in the kingdom is simpler than we want to make it. Look again at verse 25. He says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to to do. All these people are trying to figure it out. They're trying to reason their way to kingdom life. They're trying to understand Jesus, and they miss it. And then Jesus says, Father, I praise you because you have not revealed them to people who want to figure it out. You have revealed them to children who just receive. Uh, uh, There's a a, um, theologian, R.T. France, in his commentary on verse 25, he says this. He says, the basis of this division is not arbitrary selection, but the fundamental principle of divine revelation, that it comes to those who are open to it, but finds no response with those who think they know better. In other words, the kingdom and the life of the kingdom is simple enough to be grasped and received by a child. It's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. The kingdom is simple. The life of the kingdom is simple. And here's, here's how simple it is. There is a king. His name is Jesus. He knows everything there is to know about life. And to be in the kingdom is to be one who just responds to Jesus. That's what it is to live in the kingdom. To surrender to Jesus means that we respond to his direction and everything. And every good thing we receive, we receive as a gift from our good king. It's simple. It really is no more complex than that. You know, one of the criteria that I use when I'm discerning whether a teaching is valid, just one of the criteria, if I'm listening to somebody talk to me about the kingdom and it starts to feel complex, I recognize this is probably not the kingdom because the kingdom is simple. There's a king and I'm not him. I'm surrendered to him. If it's too complex to be received by a child, it's not the kingdom. You know, when I think about the things that make me weary and burned out, it's complexity, is it not? Isn't it the complexity of life that wears you out? It's like trying to live for the, the, the acknowledgement of somebody that you don't even really care about. It's trying to live a life to please people that don't like you and probably never will. 
It's giving away yourself and stop being who you actually are so that hopefully these people will accept you. And that's a complex way to live life. It's trying to be and measure up to the person that your parents hoped that you would become while at the same time living a different life so that your spouse will love you, and while at the same time living a different life so that you're at work and the people there will like you, and at the same time trying to live a life that models for your kids what you hope they become. It's a lot of lives to manage, isn't it? And it's that complexity of life, living the complex existence that's so contrary to the kingdom. Let me offer you a different picture. What if, instead of trying to be all things to all people and living a, a thousand different lives depending on the room you're in and telling a thousand different versions of truth depending on what the people around you want to hear, what if instead you were someone who sat before the Lord every day and you waited until Jesus told you who you were and you waited until you heard the Lord say, I love you. You are mine. I'm well pleased with you. What if you waited until Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. Here's who I intend you to be. And then you went about in your real life living out of that. Can you imagine how less complex that is? It's not complex. The reason most of us miss this is because we think it has to be harder. We think it has to be more complex. We think it has to be more difficult. But let me remind you that Jesus offers this to ones who receive it as children. I'm not trying to figure it out. I'm just receiving it. The kingdom and the life of the kingdom is not complex. It's simple, and it's simpler than we want to make it. Which points us to the second thing that Jesus says about kingdom life. He says, everything you need... For kingdom life is found in Jesus. Everything you need. Look again at verse 27. He says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You want a Greek lesson? You want a little Greek lesson? This will be fun. You guys love it whenever I do Greek lessons, don't you? Here's a Greek lesson. The, the, the word here for all things in Greek means all things. It's really hard. Here ends the Greek lesson. When, when, <laughs> that's all I have for you right there. Where it says all things, it means all things. The Father has committed all things to Jesus, which means everything you need to live the kingdom life is found in Jesus, everything. Where we have a lot of trouble with this uh, is that we trust Jesus for spiritual things. And we kind of think we're on our own for everything else, don't we? Do you do this? This is yes, this is no. Some of you are like, I don't want to tell on myself. Yeah, yeah, we, a lot of us do this. We trust Jesus for the Bible reading. We trust Jesus for eternity. We trust Jesus for when we show up at church. But when it comes to the rest of my real life, well, I'm kind of on my own there. I don't really trust Jesus for that because he, he doesn't really understand. You know, I mean, he lived 2,000 years ago. What does he know about, you know, Facebook and Instagram? 
or X now. It's not even Twitter anymore. What's the world going to? He doesn't understand real world now. So I have to find my own answers. Do you do this? Can I just offer you this suggestion? If you want the kingdom life to be your real life, you have to let Jesus be in charge of your real life. You can't have the kingdom life be your real life whenever you are in charge of your real life. Let me ask you this question. What if Jesus was actually the smartest man to ever live? What if Jesus actually did want your life to be the best it could be? What if that was actually his intention? Because I want, I'll give you a little bit of a, of a history lesson through Scripture. Scripture teaches that Jesus was there in the beginning. Jesus was the eternal Word of God through whom everything that you see came into being. What that means is the entire creation, everything in this world, came to being through Jesus. Which means everything that you experience has come to be in the creation that Jesus spoke into being. Which means all the problems that you have exist within the realm of the creation that Jesus created. Which means your job, your car, your house, your spouse, your parents, your kids, your neighbors, all of these things exist within the creation that Jesus is in charge of. Are you with me now? Jesus is in charge of all of it. And so maybe, maybe when he created it, he knows how it's supposed to work. Maybe. And maybe because he knows how it's supposed to work, maybe it is that he actually has the solutions that you're looking for. Maybe the solutions don't come from endless Google searches. Maybe the solutions come from Jesus, I'm not sure what to do. My kids have gone off the rails. Jesus, I'm not sure how to deal with this problem I'm dealing with at work. Like Maybe he actually wants your life to go well. And maybe he has the answers that you're looking for. What if you started out believing that Jesus actually knows everything and that he wants to help you live your life well? Have you thought about that? That in every moment of every day, Jesus has something to say about your life and how it works. But for so many of us, we live in this, well, Jesus is in charge of the spiritual things and I'm in charge of the rest. What if you just put those together? What if Jesus, Jesus was in charge of all of it? Can you imagine what your life would look like? The last thing Jesus says about the kingdom life is that we are consistently and constantly students connected to Jesus. Look again at verse 29. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I, I feel like if you've heard any preaching on this passage, everybody puts like a picture of two oxen up with a yoke, right? Like, do you know what a yoke is? You know what a yoke is, right? It's this piece of wood over the necks of two oxen to make them go the same direction, Right? And so what you do if you're going to train oxen, I read this, I've never actually trained oxen, so in case you were going to hire me to help you train your oxen, please don't. I only read this, but it came from Google, a really good source, right? 
What you do is you take an oxen that you're trying to train and you attach it to a yoke with an oxen that already knows how to do the job. Ox, oxen is plural, I think. And the one that knows how to do the job leads. And the other one is sort of along for the ride for a while. Until eventually, the, the new one keeps in lockstep and knows how to do the job, and now they pull together. And they pull the plow or they pull the cart together. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Jesus is the one that knows how to do the job. He's already living the life, and he says, why don't you step in line with me? We're going to lock together, and we're going to walk this life together. Do you see the picture that Jesus is painting? And so we, t- we stay attached to Jesus, and there's never a time that we get unattached, even when we apprentice other people. Even when we make other disciples, as Jesus has commanded us to do, we're never trying to yoke them to ourselves. We're always saying, yoke yourself to Jesus. There's lots and lots of churches that have made lots and lots of messes because pastors have said, yoke yourself to me and it'll be okay. God forbid this ever be a place that that happens. All I ever want for every one of you is that you would yoke yourself to Jesus and never unyoke yourself. That's the whole point, that we yoke ourselves to the one who knows and we learn the life. You know what I've learned over years of watching people who live faithful lives following Jesus and reading and and watching documentaries on people who live lives that from start to finish are faithful to Jesus. Do you know what I've learned about those people? They never graduate. They never get to a point where they're like, all right, I've learned enough. I can take the yoke off. They never get there. If anything, at the end of their lives, they're more dependent on Jesus than they were when they started. If you want a fun study, watch the life of Paul. Paul at the very beginning is a wild, chaotic guy who's just super wild. I don't know. Words are hard sometimes. And by the end of his life, he's just dependent on Jesus. Anyone that I know who's been faithful for the long haul in following Jesus never graduates from being yoked to Jesus. You never get to the point where you're like, all right, I know how to do this. Let me take this off. I can do this myself. All you do is you increasingly grow dependent on Jesus. On the flip side, we all have watched many, many cases of people who started yoked to Jesus and got to a point where we're like, all right, I got this now. And what happens? At best, they just sort of fade from faith. That's the best case when you do that. Sort of fade away from faith, not too excited about it anymore. Got to just sort of like do something else. At worst, their lives explode and make a giant mess. This is what happens when you unyoke from Jesus. We never graduate. We're constantly always yoked to Jesus. And I think what's true of many of us is we find ourselves somewhere between these two things a lot of times, don't we? Some seasons of our lives, we're yoked to Jesus and we're committed to being dependent on him. And then we get into the fall or whatever season makes sense and we sort of kind of go on our own for a little while. We recognize that it's not working. So we say, oh yeah, that's right, I gotta be yoked to Jesus, I gotta come back to Jesus. And we sort of oscillate, don't we? Back and forth. 
And what I think makes the fall, at least from my perspective, so difficult is that it's so easy to unyoke from Jesus. Maybe it's different in your life. But for me, every fall is this time where I'm tempted to say, I got this. I got too much to do. I'm just going to keep my head down. I'm going to keep going. I just got to get through Friday. I just got to get through next Tuesday. If I can just make it through next Sunday, it'll be okay. For those of you who, who preach and have done this before, it's if I can just get to Sunday afternoon, I'll take a breath, I'll take a nap, and then I'll start thinking about next Sunday. Right? You know this one, those of you who preach? But we find these seasons where we no longer have the yoke on. And what happens is we get weary and burdened and burned out and exhausted and brittle. And we hear Jesus say, I've come to give you life in all its fullness. And we say, I don't know about that anymore. Do you know this one? Are you living this one? Because what I think happens to a lot of us is we get into the fall and we're just trying to make it. And we're brittle and we're not sure when we're going to be able to come up for air. And we need to hear again the voice of Jesus calling us back. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.